We'll go ahead and turn to the book of Proverbs tonight as we begin our time together. And uh, you can grab a handout on your table and follow along. And as you are turning there, let's go ahead and open our time in prayer. Father, we're thankful for the wisdom that is found in your word. We're thankful for the, um, the insight that you give into to the manner in which we're to approach living life in a way that is honoring to you. And Lord, we thank you for the book of Proverbs that we've been able to study and consider together. We pray that you would give us insight as we, as we look at your word now and discuss it together uh, as we think about marriage and uh, just the critical topic of sexual purity in marriage. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, just encourage our hearts and challenge us in this area, uh, spur us on to greater uh, carefulness and devotion to you as we discuss these things now. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, tonight is the second of two weeks that we're going to spend thinking about marriage, as we've done with a variety of other topics, friendship and, and finance and others. Uh, next month, we'll be turning our attention to the, the focus of what Proverbs says about work, not simply vocational work, but, uh, but any kind of, uh, of work that we do. Uh, and so tonight, as we think about marriage, we're going to turn from really the kind of person that we should be generally in marriage, as we considered last time, what Proverbs says about an excellent spouse, the, the character that we're to have and the, the value and importance of an excellent spouse and even how to help our children choose one, to what the Proverbs teach about purity and the purity that is to characterize our marriage. Now, again, as we've talked, Proverbs is written primarily as a father to son, and so last time we saw much of what was directed about an excellent spouse was written to a son about the kind of spouse he should be looking for, namely a wife. In this case, the, the tables are kind of turned in that the instruction about sexual purity is from a father to a son about his own sexual purity. And so the primary focus of the text that we'll look at tonight relates to men in their battle for sexual purity. Certainly that does not mean that what we will talk about does not apply to women. Uh, it, it does, but we will focus more in, uh, in that way. You know, this is interestingly one of the most prominent themes of the book of Proverbs. If you've ever had the goal of reading through the book of Proverbs, maybe with your family, it's a great book to do that with. Uh, there's 31 chapters of Proverbs, 31 days in most months, or a lot of months, and so you can read a chapter a day. Um, and if you've ever done that, and maybe that was the first time you'd read Proverbs, or first time in a while, and you get to chapter five, and you're reading, and you're like, oh, interesting. And, uh, and you maybe have a shorter discussion that night, depending on the age of your kids. And then you, you keep going, and you get to chapter seven, and you're like, oh, wow, well, again, like it's just every other thing. And, and so you see there's, a, there's an emphasis on this theme in the book of Proverbs, particularly starting in chapter 2 and then in chapter 5 uh, and then the end of chapter 6 and through chapter 7. I guess we could just read all of those things and that would probably take a good chunk of our time and, uh, and that would be fruitful for us. But I, I want us to look uh, at kind of the overarching principles that we find in these texts. Because the reality is this was a pertinent topic for fathers and sons when Proverbs was written. It's a, a very pertinent topic, perhaps even more so today. 
I mean, if we're honest, and, and one of the things you can talk about in your group is just the, the overarching message about sex and, and sexual sin that our culture presents. And, and in many ways, it could not be further from the biblical truth. Sexual sin is rampant in our world today. And it's not just that the sin is rampant, it's that it is widely tolerated and it is widely celebrated. And so for us and for our children, there is a, a pressure to, to say, you know what? Not only does this sin not matter as much as the Bible might make it sound, but in fact, this maybe is something that we should think differently than what the scriptures speak to. You know, Proverbs warns us against the dangers and the temptations of sexual sin, particularly focusing on adultery and, and the sin of adultery and its consequences. Now, obviously, Jesus made it clear in the Sermon on the Mount that adultery is not simply about, uh, or avoiding adultery is not simply about avoiding the physical act of adultery. It's about our heart. It's about how we look at other people and how we think about other people. It's about the affection that we have for the one that God has given us being faithful in those ways. And so really these passages in Proverbs in many ways give us a roadmap to battle for sexual purity in our lives and in our marriages. That's what they're intended to do. As a father to a son, here's how to navigate a world that is, is bombarding you with this temptation. Here's how to navigate that in a way that follows God's design and that cultivates sexual purity. The first step that we see consistently in these texts that is, is given to us is first, we, are to, we must unmask the deception of sexual sin. Unmask the deception of sexual sin. What, what the author of Proverbs is seeking to do, what this father is seeking to do with a son is to say, this is what you're gonna see and be exposed to and you're gonna be drawn to, but you need to understand that, that, is the that what it looks like is the farthest thing from reality of what it is. It, it, think of it as like a father fish talking to a baby fish about what they're going to be tempted with. And it's like, you're gonna see a worm. <laughs> and that worm is juicy, and that worm looks so yummy, but inside that worm is a hook. That's what, that's what the, the, the writer is doing. Saying, you know, there's this temptation, but you have to unmask the, that deception. So, son, if you ever see a worm floating near the top of the lake, you do not eat that worm because it will not be pleasant to you. It will be destructive to you, and so, the, the, the Proverbs speak to us about the deception of sexual sin to unmask that for us. And, and so they really focus on two themes. The first, that it, it appears attractive, but it is ultimately destructive. It appears attractive, but is ultimately destructive. I want you to turn to Proverbs 2 as we begin. Proverbs 2 highlights for us the, the value of pursuing wisdom. And when we started our series, we said wisdom flows, first of all, out of a fear of the Lord. You have a fear, an awe, a respect of God. You zealously long for his wisdom. Chapter two says you pursue God's wisdom. 
You cry out for understanding. You seek it as silver and gold. And one of the results is that you are delivered from the way of evil, it says in verse 12. And one of those things is verse 16, to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. The, the common theme of, of this adulteress, of this temptation to sexual sin that is highlighted is she does all that she can to appear attractive, that flattery idea. It's fleshed out more in, in chapter five. If you look at verse three, pick up in verse one, just for the context. Again, my son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion, that your lips may reserve knowledge. Listen, son. Why? Verse three, for the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. There's, there's this enticement. Her, her lips drip honey and, and, and her speech is like oil. There's this attractiveness. And he says, yet, in the end, verse four, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Chapter seven fleshes this out even more vividly with the, the, the enticement and the attractiveness of, of this sin. Verse 10 describes a woman who is dressed as a harlot and cunning as hard and, and she sets her desire on a, a, a young man and she, uh, she vividly paints this picture of what they could enjoy together. I've, verse 15, I've come to meet you to seek your presence. I have spread my couch with coverings with colored linens of Egypt. I've sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses for my husband is not home. And, and on and on she goes, verse 21, with flattering lips she seduces him. He says, sexual sin, there, there will always be this enticement to it, this, this attractiveness to it, but we have to recognize that that is a, a fake good. It's not real, it's, it's that worm on a hook because it is ultimately destructive. Here in chapter seven, after describing this, this allure of the sexual sin, it says verse 22, suddenly he follows her. And notice the description. He follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool. That's really what's going on. He thinks, oh, I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to get what is good and attractive and pleasurable for me. And he says, no, what's really happening is this is an ox going to the slaughter, led on and enticed, but going to its own destruction. Proverbs 5, we see that same pattern. There's a description of the enticement, the allure of this, and then verse 8. It says, keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel run. And strangers will be filled with your strength, and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. That idea of if you pursue this, the, the consequences can be real and tangible in this life as you have illegitimate children. Verse 11, you groan in your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed and you say, how I hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. I've not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to instruction. I was almost in utter ruin. He says, that's, that's the reality. Seems enticing, but it's all deception. It ultimately is a road to destruction. Again, it's like 
It's like fishing, it looks good, but it's really a hook that is intended to destroy you, to kill you. We have to understand that's the reality of sexual temptation. It may seem enticing, someone else may tell you how great it is. Somebody else may tell you this is really what would make you satisfied and, and happy. Somebody else may tell you that, yeah, this is, this is what you want to pursue to be happy, and we have to be wise, as the scriptures warn us, to say, no, no, that is the farthest thing from the truth. This is ultimately destructive in every way. It is destructive in our relationships, it is destructive for our own soul, our love for Christ, our sensitivity to his word, our service in the church. This is something that I must run from. We have to unmask the deception of, of sexual sin, which is really the first step to, secondly, understand the temptation to sexual sin. Obviously, the deception of sexual sin is part of the temptation. If, if somebody walked by and advertised, hey, come hang out with me and it will lead to your death. It's like, well, I think I'll pass today, thank you. No thanks, I'm not interested. But that's not how it works. It's, there's this, this deception that leads to uh, drawing us in. But lest we think that the only reason there is temptation is because of an outside seduction, we are missing what Proverbs is teaching us. Notice back in chapter six, the end of chapter six leads into that description of chapter seven in verse 20 and, and really the, the core issue that we are warned against, verse 23 says the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light and reproofs for the, the discipline, for discipline are a way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty, where? in your heart. Over in se chapter seven, verse 25, there's a similar warning. Therefore, my sons, listen to me. Verse 24, pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. You see, the reality of to the temptation to sexual sin or really any sin it is not simply the outward temptation, that there is something out there, and it's that their fault that I am drawn to this. The reality is that is part of the temptation, but the core issue is what is going on in my heart. See, if you think, well, if, if I just can avoid the external temptation, I'll be okay. You neglect to be wary of your own heart. Jesus, outside the book of Proverbs, but they're so helpful I had to read them, is in Mark chapter seven, describes it this way. He says, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. You see, the issue with temptation to sexual sin is not simply that there's something out there, that there's a, a worm on a hook. The issue is with our own heart and what we desire. I want you to turn to James chapter one. Again, I know it's outside the book of Proverbs, but it's, it's very helpful for making these connections and for understanding how we are tempted in these ways. James chapter one, We'll pick up in verse, verse 13 where, 
where James is really laying out for us the process by which we are tempted, what it looks like for us to be tempted. And he's not telling us this just for our uh, information, so we can say, oh, how interesting, but so that we can recognize the temptations that we face, and so we can short circuit that process so that we don't give in to sin. Notice verse 13, he says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. It's not God's fault that we're tempted, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. It's not just sexual lust, but it's any strong desire. You see, you are tempted and carried away, not simply because there's something external to you or to me, but because of the desires of our heart. You see, we long for something, we want something, we strongly desire something, and then there's something external to us that we think will help us to get what we want, and we are drawn to that, and we, we are tempted. And he says, when that lust has conceived, that, that desire comes forth, it gives birth ultimately to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. That's not an accident that he adds that verse in. His, his point is, you know, when we are tempted, when the desires of our heart lead us into sin, we are being deceived about what it is that we need or want. That's the point of Proverbs. He's saying, don't be deceived about sexual sin. Don't think it's a good thing that you should want. Why do we want things, though? And notice, or know that in, in regards to sexual sin, it's not always just the specific desire for sexual pleasure that fuels that. Sometimes it's an it's a, a, a entirely different desire that is fueling that. For men, it's, it's common that maybe they, they don't feel like they're as respected or, or things like that, and so they pursue sexual sin through pornography, or they're stressed about life, and, and this is a, an outlet to pursue those things. For women, it's also more, often more about the, the emotional connection to somebody, that their lust may not be as physically driven, but it may be more emotional fantasies about someone else or even a, a fake someone else. It's not just the pleasure, the desire for pleasure, it can be the desire for all kinds of things that fuel us. I want this. Now where do those desires come from? What fuels what we want? Well, biblically what fuels what we want, in addition, in addition to just our own sinful hearts, is really what we are believing, the things that we believe are true. Why, why do you want something? Well, because of what you believe to be true. And really, James goes there next. He says, don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. What? Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. You see, we want something because of what our underlying beliefs are about ourselves, about God, about life. If I think, well, God doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not good then I'm gonna want things that God has said you don't, you don't need to have. You don't, you don't, that's not what makes you happy. Well, I don't believe God, I believe something else, so I, I want this. You see, we have to recognize the temptation to sexual sin is not simply external. I think we can too easily justify and excuse our sexual sin just by saying, well, this is a really difficult world to live in. 
I mean, we got all this technology, like David had to go up on the roof and look out and try to find somebody to look at. We just got it with us all the time, and so there's no way we can overcome this. And, and the author of Proverbs and the rest of the scriptures say, no, that's not true. It's not simply about those things. We gotta be careful about those things, we'll talk about that. But it's about our own hearts. It's about recognizing the desires of our heart. Do not desire the things that God says are forbidden. Which brings us to the, the third step on this path or road to roadmap to battling for sexual purity. We have to believe and desire what God says we should believe and desire, and God says that there is great satisfaction in sexual purity within marriage. Thirdly, we must embrace the satisfaction of sexual purity. Turn back to Proverbs 5 and you see this progression where in chapter 5 we are warned first of the deception of, of sexual sin and, and that is unmasked for us. And then he gets to verse 15 and he presents the positive side. He says, verse 15, instead of being enticed by this smooth talking adulteress that leads to destruction, verse 15, rather drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. What's he saying? Well, he's saying in marriage, there is an appropriate outlet for sexual desire and it is to be guarded. It is to be, it is to be your own cistern that you are drinking from, that you are delighting in, that you are refreshed in. He puts it this way in verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. He says, don't, don't look at that fake good that sexual sin masquerades as. Recognize that in marriage, you have what is good. You have God's perfect plan for delighting in the wife of your youth and your spouse. You see, unfortunately, as Christians, sometimes we have, we have communicated an incomplete message to the next generation, and maybe this was you growing up, where Christians told you that sex is bad. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> that's that's, that's a, an improper motivation to say, sex is bad, you should wait until marriage. That's not helpful. <laughs> because then you, you have the wrong idea. And if you ever um, learn about sex, you learn that, hey, they were lying to me. It's not bad. It's, it's a great blessing and a great joy. You see, what the Bible says is sex is awesome. It's great. It's a delight. But... <laughs> It is only God's design for you to enjoy that delight. And really, you can only fully experience that delight when it is in the context of marriage. That's Song of Solomon. It's like, hey, this is great in the context of the relationship of marriage. You see, we have to understand that not just that there's sexual temptation that is bad, but there is a positive good that God has given to us within the context of marriage. 
Now, the sexual relationship in marriage is not an isolated part of that relationship. It's, it's kind of like a barometer of the health of your relationship. You may be sitting here tonight and saying, we struggle in that area. We, for various reasons, perhaps some physical, perhaps related to your relationship. And, and so you can't just go home and say, okay, we're just going to enjoy this part of our relationship without working on the whole but the reality is our world says a, mo a monogamous sexual relationship in marriage is boring and it's like being trapped and, and that's how the world presents it. And God says, no, it is a glorious thing. It should, it should exhilarate you. It, it's a, a joy. God says this is a key part of, of what, it, what we enjoy in, in our marriage. Again, Song of Solomon fleshes out this in even greater detail for us. In 1 Corinthians 7, it, it highlights the importance of this, even as it relates to sexual purity, where it speaks of how, uh, how physical intimacy, the sexual relationship in marriage, is to be a regular part of a healthy marriage. 1 Corinthians 7 says the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Not saying that you can force your spouse to do whatever you want. We are to be selfless, just as we are in any aspect of our relationship when it comes to physical intimacy. But he says this is to be something that, that we are delighting in giving ourselves to our spouse. And so verse five of 1 Corinthians seven says, stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again. Why? So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Says so if, if we're not regularly enjoying the, the beautiful physical relationship that God intends marriage, that can lead us to greater temptation outside of marriage. Now again, there are situations and circumstances where for various reasons or seasons, that is not a, a can, may not be a regular part of a relationship and God is gracious and that's not an excuse to sin. But he does say we are to be delighting in our spouse and, and enjoying the physical intimacy that is a part of marriage. And that starts with what we believe. It starts with cultivating that as the overflow of our, our relationship, of cultivating a healthy relationship so that that aspect of our life is, is a reflection of, of the entirety of our relationship. We have to unmask the deception of sexual sin. We have to understand the temptation that it's not just a, an outward problem with our world. It's about our own hearts and what we long for and what we love what we desire and, and we have to really embrace the satisfaction that God says comes in the context of marriage. And then fourthly, we need to continue the confrontation of sexual sin. We have to keep battling. <laughs> this is not something that it's like, okay, we, we talked about this, we heard a message on this, we're good. No, this is a ongoing battle. How do we battle in that way? Well, Proverbs helps us Notice verse 20 of chapter five. He says, delight in your wife, rejoice in her, be exhilarated by her. Verse 20, for why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? Why would you look for this somewhere else? Verse 21, why? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he watches all his paths. He says we need to be confronting sexual sin, battling sexual sin first by living before the Lord, by recognizing that we are constantly in God's presence. 
You know, you guys understand the, the temptations and challenges that come in today's world. I mean, again, if you think historically, David wanted to, or was, was tempted by lust, why? He was standing on a rooftop, looking out, finding a, a woman who was not dressed that he could stare at. Fast forward, you know, 50 years ago. Well, you go buy a magazine of pictures of a woman who's not appropriately dressed. Now, what do we have? Oh, I have a supercomputer in my pocket, right? You can access all kinds of things anywhere at any time. The access is amazing. You can think you're in private, but this verse says, are you? No. It says you are never alone doing what you think no one else would know because why? The ways of a man are before the Lord, the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. Never alone. It's not about having human accountability, although that can be helpful. It's about God's accountability. We live before the Lord, and not just in a way that, that makes us kind of um, scared to sin, although that's a good thing, but in a recognition that we, we want to fear the Lord. We want to have wisdom. We want to pursue God. And so that, that leads us to, to take seriously the charge that Scripture gives us to battle for purity. Again, if you seek wisdom, you will be delivered from these things. If you just say, I don't want to sin sexually, you will not be. If you just say, I want to stop doing this, you, you will struggle, but if you are zealously pursuing right thinking about God and growth in wisdom in all of your life and the pursuit of him in every aspect, he says that will lead you to freedom from these things. It will keep you from sexual sin. We need to continue the confrontation of sexual sin by living before the Lord. Secondly, by fleeing from the temptation. Again, notice how Proverbs warns us, verse eight of chapter five said, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Proverbs seven, verse six and following says, for at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man lacking sense. What was he doing, this young man who lacked sense? Well, he was passing through the street near her corner and he takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night and in the darkness and behold, a woman comes to meet him. And it's like, oh, shocking. <laughs> What's he doing? No, he's going where he would find her in the middle of the night, in the darkness, setting himself up for failure. And that's why he says, this guy's naive. He's foolish. You cannot allow yourself to be in that position. Now again, there is a warning here about physical interaction with other women that's not appropriate in real tangible ways in relationships. So there may be a physical fleeing that is necessary when we face temptation. Maybe that's somebody at work who is this adulterous woman who is pursuing you in a way that is wrong and you have to physically flee or you have to ask to work somewhere else or whatever it is that's necessary for you to do to, to do what you can. But today, again, I think it's not simply that physical fleeing, it is what I, I would call like technological fleeing. What, what does that mean? Well, I, I think obviously there is, we are bombarded with opportunities for lust and sexual sin. Whether that's on our TV, during commercial breaks, whether that is, um, is on our, our phones or other electronic devices. And so doing things to set up fences so that we are not going to be tempted in ways that, uh, that will help us to guard our purity. Guys, if, if we have 
un, um, uninterrupted access to things, when you are tempted, you will likely give in. So doing whatever it takes to set up appropriate safeguards and boundaries, there's lots of tools that can help with that. Many of you are probably familiar with things like Covenant Eyes has different filtering options and different reporting things for accountability. We have a device called, uh, called Circle that um, gives us the opportunity to filter any device in our home and any device that we take portably, our phones can have the same settings on there. It not only can, can uh, or does filter content, but it also can limit time in different ways. There's other, other avenues that you can use for those things as we need to be careful what we allow ourselves access to and when. We need to flee from temptation, to recognize when temptation is likely to come and to do whatever we have to do to keep ourselves from that. You might say, well, man, that's, that sounds like a pain. <laughs> sounds like a, a headache. I mean, what if you want to search for something legitimate and you can't get to it because you're filtered? Well, big deal. <laughs> Go to the library. I mean, do, do whatever you got to do, but you need to, and I need to be committed to fleeing from temptation. I mean, you would not tell your son who was a fish, if you were a fish to say, hey, you see that, you see that worm? Just go, go see how close you can swim to it, just for fun. Maybe nibble a little bit, but don't bite it <laughs> because there's a hook in it. No, you wouldn't say that. You would say, if you see that, you swim the other direction. We have to flee temptation. And then lastly, we have to guard our hearts. We need to be guarding our heart. Yes, you can have all the safeguards in place. You can have all the, the accountability that you want, but if you are not committed in your heart to be careful with what you desire and to, to battle in renewing your mind, you will still give in to sexual sin. Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the spring of life. That doesn't mean all those things aren't helpful. They are. If you are committed to battling this and you're committed to guarding your heart, all those other things can be very helpful. But we have to watch over our heart. Watch over what you believe. Do you believe God's good? Like James said, do you believe every good thing given comes from above? That if God has not given you something, you don't need it, it's not your good. God says, this is forbidden. Do you believe he is wise and knows what is best for me? Do you trust God in those ways? Do you, do you believe that what he says in Proverbs 5 is true? That pursuing sexual fulfillment outside of marriage is, is destruction but delighting in our spouse is where true satisfaction and fulfillment comes. Guard your heart, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flows the springs of life. You know, there's a number of resources that can be helpful if you are, are battling th these things. Um, one booklet that I found helpful is Sexual Detox. It's a short book by Tim Challies. There's a bunch of others that are helpful. Would love to refer to you, to you if that would be a help. You know, there may be some here tonight, though, who have or are losing this battle. And you may be thinking, man, I wish I knew this is what we were talking about tonight. We would have been homesick. Um, you know, but my encouragement is there's hope. <laughs> there's hope. You can, you can change. It's not easy. A genuine heart of repentance leads to an eagerness to confess these things, both to the Lord and, and to your spouse or uh, to others for accountability zealously battling to renew your mind and, and to take appropriate steps in these ways. It's possible that you, you are, are in this battle as a couple or you've been sinned against. 
Remember that, that sin is, is something that is pervasive for all of us, and maybe not the same specific sin, but we are to be eager to forgive. And there are times where we need help. Love to visit more. Your small group leaders would love to talk more with you privately if we can be a help in pursuing the battle. You know, as always, as we've talked about these things, it starts with us, but it also is something we want to think about in the context of our children. Let me just remind you to talk honestly and openly with your kids about sexual temptation and those things when they're young. Don't think that you wait until that particular age, you know, and now it's time for the talk. Let's have the talk. Now, there may be a talk that is more specific, but you lay the foundation for these things when they are young. When you teach your kids about God's goodness, you are laying a foundation for, for believing what is true. When you get to Proverbs chapter five and you're reading through this with your family, don't skip over it, <laughs> read it. Now they may ask you some questions and, and uh, you know, they, they may ask you um, questions that you are like shocked to answer. Like they ask you, where do babies come from? And you're like, oh, it's time for the talk. And, and that's not necessarily, they're, they're wondering like, you know, which hospital or are they, you know, where are they from? I don't answer questions they don't ask, but answer questions for them. Talk to them in an age appropriate way from early on and, and start talking with them about the related issues. You know, I, I have mostly girls. What these chapters present is the picture of an adulterous woman. We, haven't, we didn't take time to really unpack that. It's a, it's a picture of a woman who is, who is intentionally seductive and who is intentionally aggressive and who is seeking to attract attention to herself for all the wrong reasons. You know, those are things, I don't want my girls to become that. I, I want them to trust the Lord and to value modesty and, and to trust that they don't have to create attention for themselves in ways that scripture forbids and, and that they ultimately want to be what? That excellent wife. Those things start young. You know, we want to cultivate these kinds of hearts in our kids and we want to be careful with the media that our kids are exposed to, with the technology. Again, it's not thinking that, oh, you as my child need safeguards. <laughs> it's we as people need safeguards. That the, it's not that, oh yeah, you get to graduate to like utterly unfiltered internet access by the time you're 18. No, it's that these are the things that are wise in a culture that we live in that is bombarding us with these things. So let's embrace God's intent for marriage and the unique focus that Proverbs gives us of battling for sexual purity. May we do that because God is wise, because his ways are best, he's good, he knows what we need, and he says sexual intimacy is a great delight. It is a great delight when we drink water from our own cistern, when we have fresh water from our own well, not looking outside of that. Let's pray together. Father, this is a, a sobering topic, one that, Lord, we look around us and we look at our own hearts and, and uh, we just recognize the intense battle and struggle that this can be. And, and Lord, we pray that you would give us grace to continue to fight. Lord, for, for those here tonight who have seen increasing obedience in these areas, Lord, I pray that that we would continue to pursue that. For those who've been struggling, Lord, I pray that there would be a, a humility and a zeal to pursue real repentance and lasting change. And, and Lord, for our kids, Lord, we pray that they would grow to understand your design and that they would ultimately trust you as good and wise and that that would fuel 
what they desire. And Lord, I pray that what they would desire would be sexual purity and it would be the joy of, of married love that you have described. And Lord, I pray that they would be patient in waiting for that, that they would trust you with the timing of that and that they would be um, just zealous to, to honor you in these ways. Lord, give us wisdom to shepherd them to that end. We thank you for this time in Christ's name. Amen.